And that's what I decided. I'm going to murder my mother. But I didn't feel that I had to uh, face what I had done ever. He killed 33 times. I'm the king, man. I decide who's does what and where they do it at. So next time you see me, <laughs> I will kill you. My mic can literally pick up me messing with my mustache. Isn't that crazy? Anyway, um, <laughs> so we should start the show, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I ate an apple pie <laughs> the other day, and I got a little bit of apple in my mustache, and it's, it was like concrete. Like, it, oh, it was so painful. Dude, sometimes when I get it in the side here, I'll just, like, put it in my mouth and, like, kind of lick it off if it's something, like, sugary. Right. Hey, guys, and welcome to the Mason Jar Chronicles. I am Corey, and I'm joined by our other host, Johnny. Hey, hey. And today... We are riding the wave. We are bringing you guys the handsome devil, one of the most infamous serial killers of all time, and I would definitely say he is the definition of a heavy hitter because he, well, he checks all the blocks of fucked up being a fucked up person. I mean, beating him to death, fucking him with the object he beat him to death with, fucking their dead bodies, robbing them. Like, all, everything he did was like, he just fucked, he's just a fucked up guy. But he looks nice, so people give yeah, him Yeah, he still has a following, yeah. Either, but he's a either handsome people guy. don't realize all the heinous things he did, or they just are too fucking stupid to look past his I think good they're looks. Too, to like, yeah, but he, yeah. he looks so great. It's like, yeah, he looks nice, but he fucked dead bodies. Like, do you really want that kind of person in your life? Dude, just a I bunch don't want of any person, women, person yeah. in my life that has free range of dead bodies. If you work in a morgue, that's fine. But if you're hanging out with dead bodies, that are, you know, it's not normal. You shouldn't be doing that. No, no, he was not on payroll. No, he was just killing them and fucking them. <clears throat> and fuck, I mean, fucking them before and fucking them. I mean, a lot of fucking going on in this episode. If you haven't picked it up, we're talking about Ted Bundy. Uh, he's in the media a lot right now because the documentary on Netflix, the movie with Zac Efron coming out and everything like that. So I figured we could ride this wave and get all those listeners back we lost over the holidays because apparently it's a fucking crime to be busy. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't have shit to do. Right, like I don't have a fucking holiday stuff, and then we lost a bunch of listeners because we didn't post anything for a while. So, if you're still here, we appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, thanks, guys and gals. But if you're not here, you're dead to me. Don't fucking talk to me. But they didn't hear that, so it's fine. Come back, <laughs> baby. Come back, <laughs> baby. Come back. I don't actually know the wall. I don't. Yeah, that sounded like uh, Mariah Carey's uh, baby jam. Which, if you don't it know, might that, have I mean, been. it might have been. I don't know. It was one of my favorite jams on that record. Circa nice. 95 or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I was like four years old, so I probably wasn't listening to Mariah Carey. <laughs> it was Legend dope. Power Rangers. It was dope. It was <laughs> okay. before we realized so, that she sucked as a human being. Right, 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 right. Uh, Ted Bundy also sucked as a human being. We'll, we'll caveat off of that. Um, but yeah, Ted Bundy was born Theodore Robert Cowell. Uh, he's a serial killer, rapist, burglar, and necrophile. Now, if you don't know what a necrophile is, that is the, that's the dead body fucking that we were talking about a minute ago. Yeah, use common sense. This is actually the first necrophile we've talked about, really. We've never uh, talked about anybody that fucks dead bodies. Jeffrey no. Jeffrey Dahmer didn't fuck the dead body, Ed, did he? Ed Kemper fucked his mom's head. Ah, yeah. Well, back it up. Never mind. Yeah. I forgot that he fucked his mom's face. Yeah. Some good. words I never thought would be coming out of my mouth. <laughs> uh, yeah, he did do that. Oh, shit. I forgot that he shoved his dick in his mom's face. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, necrophilia has always fascinated me, though. Like, not in a, like, wanting to do it kind of way, because that's 
pretty it's really bad but like the deviance of it uh, I think is one of the whole most one of the most horrible things you could do yeah your mind's not right aside from killing the person yeah yeah something's twisted up in your brain that, where you want to fuck a dead yeah, body yeah there's nothing wrong with that is with what is what bodies. is what you know those guys think you know yeah I was like whoa no, back it no, up no, we're I mean, gonna have to stop recording <laughs> no, for a second no, and have a conversation no I uh <laughs> No, I, no, but there's like support groups for necrophiles, you know, like they like get together and talk about it. Really? Like how to, the best way to like dig up bodies and shit. Yeah, I just saw it on the internet. Dude, that's the problem with the internet, man. I, 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 you I, can find all the fucked up people in one spot. I, maybe before, I've you mentioned it before. That. Yeah, you know, before the internet, if you were a fucked up individual, you kept it to yourself because society would shun you. But now you can just type your problem into a Google total search an- box. Total anonymity. And you, yeah, you find people like you and now you're fucking hanging out and... Yeah, and fucking dead bodies together, so... No, it's not a great thing. Uh, that is the downside of the internet, but... Uh, Ted denied his murders for decades and finally confessed, and he claimed 30 homicides over the years of 1974 and 1978. At least. You know that states. motherfucker lost count, man. Yeah, I mean, he has that famous quote about the tire wrench, but we'll, we'll get to that, though. Uh, but yeah, he's definitely one of the most attractive serial killers out there, and I'll say... He's a handsome guy. Um, I mean, but it, you got you, if people, people, some people can't look past that. They can't look past the fact that he's attractive and be like, "Oh, that's right, he murdered a bunch of people." Yeah, yeah. It's like a good-looking guy or gal that's dumb as fuck, and everybody still likes to spend their time around them because they're attractive people. You're talking to the talking to you, Kardashians. Yeah, dude. You know the motherfuckers can't even read. So I fucking hate them so much. I know more about them than I want to. I know. I think anybody. I I, I think a lot of people feel that way. Yeah, I think most people feel that way. I wouldn't say most. They do have high ratings. But what is strange about Ted Bundy is Elsa does not think he's attractive. She doesn't think he's attractive at all, which I thought was weird. Well... I bet if he had a beard, she'd like him. Maybe. Beard, like but a red he did beard. use... Yeah, yeah, like a red one that doesn't grow in right below his lips right here, yeah, but yeah. he wishes it did. Yeah, no. Because it would look a lot better if it did. Yeah. I got you. You feel me? I feel you. We're having a lot of conversation on this episode. I like it. I feel like we don't ever talk. We never talk. What's going, man? What are you doing? What's going on? Yeah, leave it up to you. (laughs) Oh, shit, we're doing a show. That's right. (laughs) It's okay. No one's listening. That's true. Uh, But yeah, Bundy used this attractiveness to gain the trust of his female victims, usually young female. Not young, like children, but like college age. He'd usually fake an injury and ask them for help uh, with something, like he'd be carrying a briefcase or he'd be on crutches or some shit like that, and then they'd feel bad for him, help him, and then he'd attack, assault, and kill them in secluded places. So the story of the, the motive of the story is do never ever help anyone. If you're in a bind, you're fucked. That's it. I'm not helping you. I'm not pulling over. Sorry, because you might murder me. Ted Bundy ruined it for everybody, but isn't that how it always goes? One person ruins it for everyone? Well, that's how out of control he got, because it started out with, you know, secluded places, and then he was doing it out in the fucking open, man. Like, towards yeah, the Yeah, he end. stopped giving a fuck. I mean, he felt untouchable after a while. Um, but what's weird is he'd go back to the crime scene and have sex with the bodies. He'd have sex with the bodies. And he'd, like, groom them, like, brush their hair and, like, fix their makeup and shit. Like it's a, really like creepy. A, like a My Size Barbie. Yeah, but, like, in a really fucked Just up a way because it's a person. Yeah. Just a dead body. It's crazy, man. It's weird shit. Yeah, it's creepy. Just, it's just, creepy just, as fuck. Just glamming them up, yeah. It's fucking, I just picture them, like, touching their cheeks, and they're all cold and dead. Yeah. I'm weirding myself out. Let's move on. Okay. 
Um, he did this up until the bodies were past the point of decomposition and animals had gotten to them. And he even decapitated at least 12 of his victims and kept some of their heads in his apartment as trophies. So you know you didn't have any visitors ever, because you, you can't explain that. No. You can't explain that away. I have, a, I have a dead baby shark in a jar that I dissected in my marine biology class in college. People think that's weird. Imagine if I had a fucking head sitting on the you thing. You got to keep that? Yeah, well, I, I was like a favorite in the class. My teacher really liked me. Yeah. So I dissected it, and the shark was pregnant. And then I was like, can I keep this? And she's like, yeah. So she like got me a jar and put like the, wa- the, the liquid in it. I can't remember what it's called. And then she let me keep it. It was pretty dope. dope. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I do wish it had John Wayne Gacy's brain in it instead, though. That would be a way better gift. Right. So he was born Theodore Robert Cowell, of course, on November 24th, 1946. Uh, Mom was Eleanor Cowell. She barely died. So she died recently in 2012. Uh, his father, uh, his identity was never determined. And I'm thinking either he just was never in the picture or I'm not really sure. But I don't know, but I know after all the <laughs> murders came out, I wouldn't want to step up and be like, that's my boy but right even, there. Yeah, but even during his conviction, I mean, it was just his mom that was doing, like, the interviews and shit, so. Right, yeah, I don't think his dad ever really stepped up, which, uh, good call well, on if, Yeah, I mean, if he was aware that he was Ted Bundy's dad, uh, I don't think he would have, I mean, any sane I mean, he might have. You can get some book deals, <laughs> yeah. some interview deals. Parents make love their kids no it. matter who they kill. So yeah, I mean, the signature on his birth them. certificate was a salesman and an Air Force veteran named Lloyd Marshall. So for the first three years of Ted's life, he lived in Philadelphia with his maternal grandparents, uh, and they did this to, I'm guess, I'm guessing, avoid the stigma that comes with having children out of wedlock. Yeah, because I mean, his parents weren't married, so they just back then it was it was a big deal. Yeah. So Ted, uh, Ted, and others were told his grandparents were actually his parents, and his mother was just his older sister. Let's uh, just lied to him from the beginning. Right. Just fuck him up from the get-go. So later on, he had to find this out on his own. So this, I mean, this wasn't something he was raised knowing. They were just right. living this lie, and then he had to figure it out. Probably by one of his shithead buddies that was running around and said some stupid-ass joke, and then he, like, started mm-hmm. thinking about it or some shit. And fucked it all up for him. And now he resents his mom. Or yeah. did, because he's dead now. So, yeah, one thing he couldn't stand about his mom was was her lying about this. And she never would tell him who his, uh, his real dad was. Uh, and then, you know, I'm guessing that this is where a lot of his distrust and hatred for women really started. Just like, you know... Yeah, I mean, from the get-go, he's lied to by his by the one person that's not supposed to lie to you. Right, but you got... I mean, that's where Ed Kemper's anger started, you know? His mom just kind of mistreated him. He was never good enough, and so he... Kind of. <laughs> yeah, so he never knew how to build that relationship with another woman. Right, or so, anyone, really. I mean, he's kind of a... Right. Just a fucked up dude. But his victims were all women, so I'm thinking, you know... Right. probably had a lot to do with it, but... Mm-hmm, well, he was killing around his mother, and then finally... Yeah. We, you go listen to the Ed Kemper episode if you want to hear about Ed Kemper. Right. We have an Ed Kemper episode. But like Kemper, Bundy was a typical sociopath and psychopath. Um, and that in the respect that he could lie like it was normal. Uh, yes, he could lie like just fucking simple. Like it was like it's just nothing rolled off the tongue. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you tell yourself the same lie over and over enough times and you start to believe it. So I it guess becomes, yeah, yeah. it becomes the truth. But he said in some interviews that he was very close and even clung to his grandfather, and in others he would talk about how his grandfather was a bigot and, uh, you know, a 
tyrannical person who hated blacks, Latinos, Catholics, and Jews, which Yikes. we're talking, you know, 50s, dude. Like, isn't that what every white male thought like? Yeah, I mean, it's not right, but that's about how, that's yeah, pretty much yeah. how it was. I mean, I'd believe that over his grandfather being a nice, respectable dude if you're fine with lying to your grandson from the beginning. Yeah, so, and he's worried about what the neighbors think. So if you're a white guy and you say the good old days in front of your minority friends, you're a fucking moron. So stop saying <laughs> And a bigot. Those yeah, are the days that yeah. you're talking about. So he said his grandfather would beat his grandmother, the family dog, and swing cats around by their tails. Again, this is the kind of imagery we can, you know, typically have... Uh, that's it, it makes a huge impact on a kid. I mean, that's definitely. I'm an I mean, adult, and if that. I see that, I'm gonna be like, "What the fuck?" So yeah, I can't even watch like seeing that stuff on like Reddit and Fortune. Like, I can't see animal cruelty, and I'm a normal person. So in 1950, uh, Louise Bundy's mom slash sister, I guess, decided to <laughs> move. Sounds her. like incest. <laughs> yeah, decided to move her and Ted to uh, Tacoma, Washington. Which, if you don't know, Tacoma is just a little. Uh, it's just it's like. West, northwest of Seattle. Sounds like a great place, to be honest. A place called named Tacoma sounds great. I love the area, but Tacoma is mainly, uh, mainly um, it's, there's a large minority community there, I guess. I don't know. I, I, when I think northwest, you know, it's predominantly white or Filipino. Right. But uh, in 1952, she met Johnny Culpepper Bundy at a church singles night. Ooh, spicy. Yeah. They married later that year, and Johnny officially adopted Ted. Big mistake, buddy. Johnny and Louise had uh, four yeah. kids of their own, and even though Johnny tried to include Ted and in everything with his actual kids, Ted remained distant. Distant. I mean, at least he tried to include him, you know, I mean. He did, but, I mean, he was already, uh, this is already a, a, a broken, for lack of a better word, but just I mean, a I come individual. from a family who... Yeah, I come from a family who I have a stepdad and a mom and my mom, but if they would have had their own kids, I definitely would feel like I would be left out. Like I wouldn't be right, you know, completely the you know their kid. So I, I see what he's saying there. I can relate to that. So again, we find Ted telling two stories. He told journalists that he would uh, roam his Tacoma neighborhood and search through garbage cans for porn. He told other biographers, <laughs> so yeah, so he, uh, you know, how he would wanted to find detective novels, true crime books, and anything that may contain crime scene photos of dead and maimed women. So he also told him he would <sighs> get drunk and roam the neighborhood for open windows to watch women get undressed. Uh, he told some journalists that he chose to be alone because he didn't know how to develop interpersonal relationships with people. And then he would tell other biographers that he was well-liked and well-known, which... Which is it? Which is it? Well, I mean, the thing is, you know, from what I've read, um, and you know, I I think they touch on you know on the the Netflix doc and all that shit. But he was an average run of the mill kid. Yeah, he's just a normal guy. He just he was always an outsider as far as you know. He still ran around with the neighborhood kids, but he he was never one of he he, he never had the title of you know most popular or most funny or you know he just. He he's like a background guy. He's like yeah. A background he associated character. with him, but yeah, that's he just he was never. Yeah, I I remember that part in the documentary. They'd say like he would hang out with us, but like he always seemed different. Like he always seemed off. Yeah. Um. So during high school, Ted was arrested at least twice for suspicion of burglary and auto theft. But once he turned eighteen, they were expunged from his record. Uh, because you know you're you're a minor, so I guess yeah, I guess it, it changes after good that. Good conduct and shit. Um, 
So after Ted graduated high school, he attended University of Puget Sound before transferring to University of Washington in 1966 to study Chinese. What the f- why? Yeah. Why, why would you study Chinese of all? Well, like I said, career? I mean, there's there's a huge Asian presence in the Pacific Northwest. So well, also this was the '60s, not, so you got to think. I mean, he could have maybe done something with that back then. Yeah, well, I mean, it, even now, I mean, it's no different than being bilingual, knowing English and Spanish, working, you know, in Texas or Arizona. It's yeah, I guess that's true. Like up there, it would make sense. Okay, yeah, I get that. In 1976, he became romantically involved with a girl who had many different names in all the stories Ted told, but more often than not, it was Stephanie Brooks. In 1968, he dropped out of college and then started to work various minimum wage jobs. He worked on the presidential campaign of Nelson Rockefeller. Ro- sorry, he he worked on the Rockefeller. Yeah. He, uh, he worked on the presidential campaign of Nelson Rockefeller and was the driver and bodyguard of Arthur Fletcher. In 1968, he also attended the Republican National Convention as a delegate of Rockefeller. Shortly after that, Stephanie Brooks ended their relationship after saying Ted was immature and had no ambition. Psychiatrists say that this was a pivotal moment in Ted's development, which it probably could be true. But I also find it hard to, like, I mean, I wouldn't say that he lacked ambition. He just... He was going in so many directions, I would think. It's not that he he didn't have aspirations. He just, maybe he liked so many things but couldn't pick one that he was passionate about, which kind of, I don't know. Maybe. Right, like he liked politics. He liked, you know, other, diff- he had different things that he was into, but he couldn't pick one, so it seemed like, right. I guess it just seemed like he didn't know what the fuck he was doing. So in 1969, Bundy met Elizabeth Clofer, uh, a divorcee, their relationship would continue on past his incarceration in Utah uh, uh, back in 1976. During this time, Bundy was trying to turn his life around and re-enroll at uh, University of Washington, and he eventually did and became an honor student, was uh, regarded by his professors, um, you know, as, you know, a, a pretty good student, I'm, I'm guessing. Uh, in 1971, he took a job at Seattle's Suicide Hotline Crisis Center. Uh, he worked alongside Ann Rule. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he worked along, uh, alongside Ann Rule, who is now a true crime author. She was not at the time, but uh, they worked side by side, you know, talking to, you know, suicidal individuals. Uh, and uh, she... She was a former police officer and aspiring crime writer at the time. She would go on to write The Stranger Beside Me, which is about Ted Bundy. What are the odds of you wanting to be a true crime writer and then you find yourself seated next to a fucking world-known serial killer? Yeah. No, like, that's I mean, the jackpot of true crime writing. I mean, shitty circumstances, but an opportunity nonetheless. For sure. Definitely. So... After he graduated from UW in 1972, which kudos for him following through and finishing, he joined various political campaigns and was making a name for himself. In 1973, Bundy got into law school even though his test scores were mediocre. Uh, He got in on the recommendation of the political officials he worked for and his professors at University of Washington. But it should also be noted that he was not accepted the first time or first couple of times that he applied to law school. He just... His, I don't know if it was his grades weren't high enough or, you know, there was just that many applicants, but he was not a shoe-in. He just happened to be campaigning with the right people that kind of got his foot in the door for him after, after yeah, they failure. they kind of helped him out. So, 
and I would even say it's failure, but a lot of people would say that, you know, I mean, that's a huge setback, you know, which probably, you know, ended up driving him into a deeper depression, which caused him to just well, be Well, it probably further it. angered him, too, because he felt inadequate, and that was something yeah. that he had going on already anyways. Right. So during a trip to California in the summer of 1973, Bundy and Brooks rekindled their relationship after she'd seen his transformation. He was still dating Clofer at the time, and neither girls knew about the other. Bundy was enrolled in UPS Law School, and I don't... It's not the UPS we know of, but it's a law school. Uh, it's not the Universal Union. Yeah, <laughs> it's not, it's not the Universal <laughs> yeah. Law School. Uh, and, you know, and he's also still dating Brooks. She would regularly fly out to visit him and stay with him. They discussed marriage, and he even introduced her as his fiance at times. In January of 1964, he broke it off uh, with her abruptly, and when she finally reached out after months of being ignored, she asked what was going on, and he said in a calm voice, Stephanie, I have no idea what you mean, and hung up, which is kind of weird. Later See, on... I wasn't going to include all of this. I wasn't going to put any of this in there, but that part right there, it just shows his lack of empathy that he has going on, like... You dated this girl for how long? And you were in love with her? And then you're just like, I have no idea what you mean. Yeah. And hang up. I gotta go. It's pretty lack of empathy. Yeah. So later on, you find out that he planned it all. The rekindling, the breakup, everything is a revenge for her breaking up with him before, which is fucking shitty. Like, you spent a lot of time and energy just getting back at someone like this. That is crazy. There's a quote. What is it? Fuck. It's like, uh... It's like beware the wrath of a patient man or something like that, but like yeah, dude. that's the long con. the long con. Yeah, but it's fucking sinister, man. Like that need for revenge like that is just right crazy. But by this time in law school, Bundy started skipping class all the time, and by April he had stopped going completely. This was around the time uh, where women started disappearing in Washington. The year the murders began, he was an assistant director for Seattle Crime Advisory Commission and wrote a pamphlet for women on rape for prevention, which is just fucking crazy. No one really knows when exactly uh, Ted started killing women, but like we said, he told different stories to different people. Uh, he did confess to brutal killings of dozens the days leading up to his execution. Uh, and I believe it was like the day before or like a couple days before, because he was trying to use that as leverage to get his um, execution either, either pardoned or extended. Um, because, yeah, the motherfucker wasn't ready to die, which makes it even sweeter for the people that wanted him to die. But shortly, right. I mean, who's, but neither were the women that he was killing, it. you know? So Yeah. But shortly after midnight on January 4th, 1974, Bunny broke into the basement apartment of 18-year-old Karen Sparks... Actually, we'll just segue into that. Um, so after, you know, the execution. So here we go. Uh, basically, we just start the long string of... Uh, yeah, various murders. Cr- yeah, did. just the ridiculous murders that he was doing. Uh, so we're just... Yeah, so this is kind of fast-paced. So uh, it is gets very confusing. There's a lot of names. Pretty much the same MO every time. Kind of like uh, how Gacy was. But shortly after midnight on January 4th, I ran up the stairs. I'm like kind of out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm like trying not to show that I'm out of breath because I don't want to seem out of shape. But like I ran. Like, you know how like when you go up the steps and you skip one Mm. to get up faster? I was doing that. So I'm like. Just lunges. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like let me catch my breath for a second. 
Let me rehydrate myself with this Dr. Pepper. I don't think that's how that <laughs> so, <works>. <laughs> It's not how that works. Uh, shortly after midnight on January 4th, 1974, Bundy broke into the basement apartment of 18-year-old Karen Sparks. He bludgeoned her to death with a metal rod from her bed frame while she was sleeping and then sexually assaulted her with the same rod, and she had extensive internal injuries, but she survived. So this actually isn't his first murder. She survived after being unconscious for 10 days. So I, what I want to know is, so he snuck into this girl's room, mm-hmm. disassembled a portion of her bed. Well, it might have been like, you know how like the beds, some of the beds have like the, the poles on the end of it? You know, maybe it was one of those. They do, but they're still screwed in or welded on or... Maybe she's a heavy sleeper. I guess. I mean, he's a, he's, maybe he's quiet. He's a professional. I'm a heavy sleeper, but I'd like to see you try to come take my bed apart while I'm on it. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a heavy sleeper. I'm like the opposite. One time I was sleeping, and Elsa reached over me for some reason, and I literally grabbed her wrist and like almost like broke her arm with like my other hand because it freaked me out so bad. That's PTSD, homie. No, it was weird. I don't. I didn't. I don't have any PTSD though. It was just. I have a fear of people breaking into my house. I guess. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's that too. As yes. most people do. Yeah. Anyways, but February first, Bundy broke into the basement room of Linda Ann Healy, a UW graduate who broadcasts the morning weather for skiers. He beat her unconscious and then dressed her in blue jeans and a white blouse and then carried her away. Fucking weird. So this is about a month apart. So it's kind of like he did the first thing, and then was like, whoa, what am I doing here? Like, I'm doing fucked up stuff. And then by February, he was like, I can't wait. I can't not do it again. So he went for it again. But during the first half of 1974, college-age girls were disappearing at the rate of one per month, which is a lot to be in, like, one single town. On March 12th, Donna Gale Manson... No relation to Charles Manson, I'm sure. Uh, at the Evergreen State College in Olympia. This was 60 miles southwest of Seattle. So she left her dorm to attend a jazz concert, but she never arrived. On April 17th, Susan Elaine Rancourt disappeared while on her way back to her dorm after an advisor's meeting at Central Washington State, 110 miles east-southeast of Seattle. So he's going all over the place. He has no problem traveling to go get these girls. Two female students recalled encounters on the night of Rancourt's disappearance with a man wearing an arm sling, carrying a load of books, and driving a tan or brown Volkswagen Beetle. This is Ted's M.O. He pretends to be injured and needs help and gains the sympathy of people, and then he strikes. <clears throat> May 6th... Oh, that was really loud. May 6th, Roberta Kathleen Parks left her dorm at Oregon State University in... Corvallis, 85 miles south of Portland, to have coffee with her friends at Memorial Union, but she never arrived. Now, police are growing concerned because all these girls are disappearing, and there's, like, no physical evidence going on. The only thing they noted as similar in the women is that they were all young and had long brunette hair parted down the middle. Now, if you look at Ted's ex-girlfriend, she had this exact hairstyle, so this was, like, his motive. He's killing around her. I don't know. I think everybody looked the same. I mean, trends have always been right. Well, I mean, well, I mean, look at Son of Sam. He did the same kind of thing with women with their hair. Uh, so women started wearing their hair up all the time, or maybe it was down. I can't remember. But he had the same type of thing of a certain type of hairstyle that he liked. So it's not uncommon. I mean, that's where right I'd, serial I'd, killer comes from. One. I mean, yeah. I mean, when you look like Son of Sam, you can't be picky. 
I don't understand how he was killing so many women in the same fucking areas for so long. Are you talking about Son of Sam or Ted Bundy? Ted. I mean, he well, drove I mean, south, but I mean, it's still, I mean, you're hearing it. Of course, yeah, it's the 70s and shit, so. Technology's me- not where it was at all. Not and the they same. had f- calls flooding in constantly about tips and everything like that. Like, it's, in the documentary, they say, like, we had so many calls, like, we couldn't screen them all. Yeah. They'd have hundreds of calls a day. They didn't have the manpower to really investigate. This is before serial killers were, like, a big thing like they are. You know what I mean? Like, this is really before... I mean, this is around the time serial killer... The term serial killer was being coined. Yeah. So when they saw these girls disappearing, they weren't like, we have a serial killer. They were like, what the fuck is going on? Why are all these people disappearing? They weren't... Serial killer wasn't their go-to, you know what I mean? So that, I mean, that had a lot to do with it. I mean, I don't think, maybe they didn't take it as seriously as they should have. I'm not blaming the people investigating, but I mean, it's not their fault. They didn't, they didn't realize that, I mean, no one knew what a serial killer was around this time. Right. But on June 1st, Brenda Carroll Ball disappeared, and she was last seen in a parking lot talking to a brown-haired man with his arm in a sling. June 11th, Georgia Ann Hawkins disappeared, walking down an alley near her dorm. It was said a man was spotted near the back of the alley, walking on crutches, and struggling to carry a briefcase. Another woman claimed that the same man had asked her for help to carry the briefcase to his brown Volkswagen Beetle. So now they're seeing the connection. Like, this is one guy doing all of this. This is one person now. Because they had... They didn't... They, I mean, they couldn't assume it was one person. I mean, this is a crazy amount of people disappearing in this one town. So, I mean, they probably thought it was more than one person. I would think. I guess, man. He did but a really the morning good after job her, of making law enforcement look like a fucking bunch of danguses, dude. Like it just. Well, yeah, because I mean, they literally were on in this the same alley on their hands and knees looking for evidence. They didn't find a fucking thing. Jeez. It's crazy that he was so good. I mean, not good, but you know what I mean. Like in his profession. And it is the seventies. I guess everybody's driving a fucking yellow or tan beetle, but. Still. Yeah, but I mean, still, I mean, I think what was what did it say they had? They looked up how many Volkswagen Beetles they had, and it was like forty two thousand or something like that. Like you can't comb through that shit with the technology they had. Now yeah. you could probably pinpoint, you know, who it was, and they knew his name was Ted as well, but they didn't know Ted. Obviously, Ted Bundy, but whatever. But ironically, during this time, Ted was working at DES, the Department of Emergency Services. DES was a state agency that aided in the search for missing women. I mean, they say this a lot with serial killers. They try to get in on the investigation. Right. What's wrong? No, I'm just turning you down a little more. I mean, look at Ed Kemper, how he was with the investigation. He was, like, up the cop's ass all the Jesus, fucking time about everything. He starts fucking lagging again. <laughs> <laughs> it's good, man. I can still see you. Can you okay, still see me? I can me? hear you again. Okay. Cool. We're back. Investigation. So, that's where he... Hmm? Nothing. Okay. But that's where he met Carol Ann Boone, a twice-divorced mother of two. And then six years later, she would play a big role in Ted's life. But with the word spreading about the attacks, uh, I mean, life would obviously change for these women because they had to start being more aware. They had to, you know, look out for each other. They'd travel in pairs or they'd travel in groups and things like that. But hitchhiking was a big thing back then, and it just com- like basically completely stopped. Because yeah, that was terrified. came to a fucking halt for the yeah, most part. Yeah, I mean, rightfully so. I mean, yeah. and then it, a lot of pressure was being put on law enforcement to catch this guy because the stuff he was doing was brutal. Beating these girls to death is, like, unheard of at this time. I mean, it should be unheard of everywhere, but it's, I feel like it'd be a lot more 
common now, but this is crazy back then. People never seen anything like this. But other similarities started coming out as well. So most of the attacks took place near construction sites, and I think that was to cancel out the noise because, you know, jackhammers, you know, right. st- st- machines moving around, things like that. The women were wearing blue jeans or slacks, and they were happening a week or so before or during midterms. And at each crime scene, there was a man spotted wearing a cast, a sling, a cast or a sling, and driving a brown or tan Volkswagen Beetle. So now they have determined it's one person. It's one guy doing all this fucked up stuff, which is, I feel like would be like a crazy thing to realize, you know, after seeing all the evidence and everything that's going on. But we got a few of the murders in. That's where we're going to cut it for this episode. Well, and it gets even crazier. I mean, we haven't even gotten it to, like, him getting crazy. caught, him escaping. I mean, there's a lot of shit going yeah. on. No, him moving around. Don't, 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 don't spoil it for him now. Of course not. I mean, they probably already heard Ted Bundy's stories. Yeah, everybody knows that he, you know, he was, he was a Houdini, but... I mean, I'm ready to, like, you know, next episode we can get into, like, how he's he's stayed elusive. Elusive. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. It is really crazy how he eluded the police for as long as he did. But that's Ted Bundy, uh, episode one. We'll be back, uh, I'd say two weeks from now. We're getting, we're getting good at putting up an episode every, every, you know, at a regular amount of time. <laughs> well, like, like, like we've said, we got shit to do. I'm in the middle of a move. You know, you've got family shit going. Yeah, I work 60 hours a week. Like, it's hard to come up with time to do this stuff. But we're trying for you guys. I mean, we enjoy the show just as much as you guys do. We have a great time with this. So, uh, we will be back in a couple weeks. You can follow me on Instagram at gnarlydavids. Oh, nope. You can follow me on Instagram at how the dads chill. I forgot I changed it. And you can follow Johnny at Johnny2Jokes. You can follow the show at MJC Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at MJC Podcast, which I need to start updating that more. I really don't post on our Twitter that much, but I need to. Well, I don't have a Twitter. Well, good for you, I guess. I take pride in that, man. Fuck Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, and if you guys feel so inclined, you can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash summationjarchronicles. And throw us a few bucks, and we'll do a little dance for you guys. And that's the show. We'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. Later. You don't. Uh, you thought you were gonna be like, "Are you gonna say it?" Because you no, usually tell me, "Are you gonna say it?" <laughs> and we will catch you guys on the flippity flip.